Canucks Central Thursday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sorefeet, what are you waiting for? Canuck Central is for Enzyme Pacific Vancouver's premier Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, and Jeep Superstore on 2nd Avenue between Canby and Main or at EnzymePacificChrysler.ca. We do have guests on the program. They come via the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning hotline. The first call, the only call as we uh, kick off Canuck Central today as Vancouver returns home, Sat. It's been a while. It has been a while. Uh, more than anything, it's exciting to be able to go to home games again and, yep. and get to watch the team again because it's it's been quite quite a while, you know. And it's also lining up to be a pretty challenging little stretch here for the Canucks up until the trade deadline. Like I'm really excited and see what this Canucks team looks like. Lindholm is back. We'll see him on home ice for the first time. A lot to look forward to right now. Uh, Nikita Zadorov will make a return to the lineup as well as uh, his two-game suspension is over. Uh, he took full responsibility for what he called himself a bad hit today, the one that he laid on Lucas Raymond. So there is that about the situation with the Vancouver Canucks, but we did get a little bit of bad news for Vancouver as well. Dakota Joshua being evaluated for an injury that uh, occurred during his fight the other night with Entwistle, and uh, he will not play tonight. So the lifeline, the third line, the no-name line, whatever we're calling it, it's not intact tonight. No, it's not. And I mean, the thing too, more than anything else, is how well he had played for the team. And it was interesting well, listening. He had three to, points. The other yeah, day. and also listening to the coach talk about how they have to replace him by committee, and especially on the forecheck. And clearly, him and Garland have some chemistry that's undeniable. And you know, and we'll see how Mikheyev is going to fit into going with it. But we're going to see what this team is going to look like without Dakota Joshua. And just as we were having these discussions about um, how much value is he looking at in terms of his contract? Like, are we talking about a player that's going to be able to get a contract north of $3 million? Is he pricing himself as a Vancouver Canuck? How important is it for you to sign him? Do you just sign all the guys you can? Or do you... Do you exercise a little bit of restraint and -hmm. figure you can replace some of these guys and and reload again next season. And now we're going to get a bit of a taste to see what life is like without Dakota Joshua with his impact. And we'll see truly how, how valuable he is to this team. I, uh, you know, the third line has been an unbelievable find for this team, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, especially over the last couple of months, the way that they've uh, played, not just like a third line, but like a line that uh, elevates this group as a whole, that's allowed them to have, such a consistent amount of results, even when the top six hasn't been going the way that you would have liked the top six to be going. And then now it's getting broken up. Mm-hmm. It Two things for me. McKay have practiced in that spot today. But it's, I think, going to be a testament to Connor Garland here if he's just the guy that drives that line and almost it may not, not that it doesn't matter who's playing alongside him, but it can work even with different people in those spots. It's a great, you know, it's it's one of those things where 
it's a narrative tester. Yes. It's almost like a trial. You can see what, you know, <laughs> what does it look like without this? Are we play? testing this on narrative street? Yeah. And I, I, I think it's a perfect way of doing so. You have to view these things as challenges, but also when we were talking about how important are these players? Yeah. If you're trying to look at building a next season, now we'll see how long Dakota Joshua is out for. Hopefully it's only one or two games, but if it is an extended period, we'll get a real answer to, okay, What's really behind the success of that line? And can you or can you not live with or without Dakota Joshua? And also an opportunity here for one of these guys. Mikheyev. Mikheyev especially. I think he can. Like In theory, he should be able to, to fit in there, right? He's still a guy that can get in on the forecheck. He has, for as much as he hasn't scored in uh, the calendar year 2024 just yet, he does have some defensive value. So I don't think the line at least in theory, shouldn't lose any of the defensive value that it's brought. Maybe it's not going to have the same offensive potency we've had, we've seen it have at times. But for me, there's there's not a ton of reasons that, like trait-wise, that I see Mikheyev just not being able to work in that spot. Does he have mm-hmm. the same level of chemistry uh, with Connor Garland and Teddy Blucher that Dakota Joshua had? Maybe not. Uh, does he have some of the offensive instincts, the touch that Dakota Joshua has displayed at times around the net front and having a, an eye to make the next pass the better play instead of just throwing the puck at the net. Sure, there's there's some of those things, but I don't, I don't know if there's this like huge chasm between the two players. I mean, for, for what it's worth, like the player with the better track record is Ilya Mikheyev than Dakota Joshua prior to this season. Yeah, and I mean, I'd say Dakota Joshua's finish in around the net has been better, as you mentioned. I think his overall scoring touch might be a bit better. But you know, we're talking about a player who's actually scored 20 goals in a season in Ilya Mikheyev on pace for doing something similar. So I'd say looking at Ilya Mikheyev and his fit on this roster, again, do we get a chance to see him now with an opportunity and can he show his worth to the team? And ultimately, the reason why this third line is getting talked about so much is because of how good they've been yep. and how much they've carried the team when the top six looks a bit fatigued. And how much of that fatigue for that for, for the top guys, JT Miller, Brock Besser, Elias Patterson, Elias Lindholm, also Quinn Hughes to some extent, being at the All-Star game. Yeah, you have all the duties of talking to the media all the time, doing all these you know fan related things, and it's a lot of fun, but it's not really much of a disconnect. H- how much you added a- essentially an extra four days to their road trip? So how how explainable do you think their play is erratic play since the All Star break? Given they were all doing the same thing, being at that event. Um, sometimes the NHL schedule provides uh, what some people may call excuses. I would call reasons. So that's that's where I land on uh, on that. Uh, do we have uh, do we have? Is it working now? We're not sure. We're, we're not sure. No, can't hear me. Oh, oh there, there we go. go. Hey, oh, okay. There okay. Go. So the reason I wanted to bring it up is because uh, <laughs> to give people a little peek behind the curtain right now. We started the show expecting to have a little Canuck Central roundtable mm-hmm. with uh, Bick Nazar, uh, of course, uh, host of the People Show and host co-host of uh, the post-game show here on Canuck Central. And uh, we get into the studio, we find out the third mic isn't working. <laughs> I made it work. Yeah, you made it work. And Bick is like Tim the Toolman Taylor. He's under the desk. He's got like a flashlight. He's going in and out of the room. And Sat and I are just trying to carry on as if nothing's happening. Well done by you guys. Just a, a token of the professionalism that... Uh, 
sat and myself have here on the show. To some Unbelievable extent. performance. To some extent. And there's no way I would have been able to fix that. So I don't know what you did under the, under the desk here, Bic, while, uh, while making it work. But People are never going to know what either of us just did there. You guys <laughs> just running the show perfectly. Me just <laughs> managing it behind. Can you get an engineer's salary as well on top yeah. of your on top of your host salary? And like nothing's like, usually we have these buttons that light up when you're yeah, on no, air that, and that, none that, of that, that's that is not working. Happening. So it's really confusing <laughs> looking at like this magic microphone. Clearly it was working immediately and we just didn't believe it. Really? Yeah. But you couldn't hear yourself, I guess. That's the problem. Anyways. Who wants to hear me anyways? You're here now. Uh, it's <laughs> it's working. Yeah. So that's uh, that's a good part of it. All right. Canuck Central Roundtable here. And uh, Bic Nazar joins us uh, in the studio, the Kintec studio. So we were just talking about Dakota Joshua and his injury. And, you know, rather than, oh, no, the third line that has been so valuable, so good to this team, it's... Maybe an opportunity to see if Garland can still drive this line with now Ilya Mikheyev there. And also, okay, Ilya Mikheyev, we've been able to survive with you not having a goal over the last 22 games. Mm. But it's time. We need more from you now with Dakota Joshua out of the lineup. Yeah, what an opportunity for him because that's the line that's been going perfectly throughout the course of this uh, two and a half months, obviously. And, you know, for Connor Garland chance to consolidate the fact that you're this guy, right? The, the, the puck's always going to be on his stick. He's always going to be a, a puck-dominant player. But if you now create with one of your players that you've had so much chemistry with off the line, it, it's just going to confirm what a, a lot has been uh, uncovered for Connor Garland over the past two months. And you're like, what a change. Well, you know, you mentioned the change, right? Because there has been a real appreciable change to how he's playing, mm-hmm. you know, and I know we can always turn to the analytics and say, well, he always had good, good underlying numbers, but Connor from Calgary texted and says, I'm Connor for, formerly from Burnaby. I remember sat the beautiful side of him sighing and ex- ex- exhaustingly referencing analytics around Garland and the shot from net for Alan net from center. What changed your mindset on Garland? What has he done to win you over? He's not doing the same things. Like the things that drove me nuts. People talk about, look at his own entries. He'd get across the blue line and then he'd do a little spin and throw this harmless shot on net. And the goalie would just kind of either freeze it or just move it over to one of his defensemen. The puck's out the other way. On paper, that's a shot on goal. That's a zone entry. It looks all nice, but you're not doing anything with it. Well, Rick Talkett even today mentioned he's not a one and done player. Exactly. And there was times last season, and especially when he first arrived, like spinning shots along yeah. the goal line. And low percentage shots. Low percentage shots that, you know, they, they work when, when Jack Hughes does it, it goes off Joey Decord's head and in the net. But Well, he purposely put it off his head. Yeah. But no, but again, like, and, and Connor Garland's done that. He's picked some corners yes, doing it as sure. well. Like he scored some goals that way, but there was an insistence of like always trying it and it would go to the corner and slide out and they're easy retrievals. And now that sort of stuff, he, Rather than do like the Kuzmenko spin, which is becoming its own lore now in the city, yeah. but he protects the puck now along the wall yeah. and comes out of the corners, as Rick Talk was mentioning, not even just go win a battle, but when he enters the zone, he, he might do that half spin, but it, it's almost like a shake and fake and he finds new space and yeah. it allows other line mates to get into the play. It's plays like that you look at and say, okay, he's not just putting up a plus one in Corsi, which doesn't do anything for anybody. It's effective play that now creates a better chance. There are times like, hey, you're late in a shift and uh, there's not much else available to yeah. you. You just take the shot and then try to get a whistle, get an offensive zone face off, let somebody else come over the boards and maybe take over and, and see if they can they can do some damage. There's like there's always some level of uh, there's 
different levels of value to every shot. But far too often was the uh, very harmless uh, or ambitious try at the net that was just not going to do too much. And realistically, this line has found a way to generate offensive zone time find each other, connect play in the offensive zone, finding each other with multiple passes and putting their opponents on their heels more often than not. And if it hasn't led to a goal, it's maybe tilted the ice in the favor of the Canucks. It's stopped momentum from the opposition and created it going the other way for Vancouver. And that to me is... I mean, look, I mentioned it yesterday, 68% goals for when they're on the ice and over 350 minutes played together. It's pretty good. But that consistency of being able to control play more often than not is something that's brought a ton of value beyond the goals that that they've brought to the team. They're playing so much closer to the goal line as a trio, that line, right? And we were referencing earlier the shots closer to the blue line that that were coming from Garland before. Now everything is coming closer to the goal line. And you see the chances to the passes either down low, low to high, or from the half wall across. Now, the last game was a bit fortunate. Bluger threw a pass. It's below the hash marks, right? And it comes across. Yeah, they do, right? But hey, it went through everybody and then Dakota Joshua is coming down the middle and he scores on it. But they're generating from far lower, closer towards the goal line. The one thing I would say, and we see a lot of texts coming in here saying, you know, maybe Dakota Joshua, CP says maybe, uh, no, or somebody else texted in, sorry, I can't find it exactly, but mentioned maybe they should move him. Yeah, a lot of texts. <laughs> Apologize. But the, the gist of it was, why don't they move Dakota Joshua up to be a mm-hmm. four checker on a different line? And okay, you can give that a chance and I don't mind. Same thing with Hoagland. I think Hoagland is doing great and I'm like, the way things are going, give him a chance. I'm unconvinced it's going to stick in terms of the rest of the season in the playoffs, that's your go-to top six mix with him there. Like I'm, I'm unconvinced. I think you can do it in spurts. And the coach essentially said, like, hey, we got to be careful how much ice time we give him. He said that today. And, yeah. and there's still parts of his game he's working on. So that's what I wonder about. But also that line, and the coach referenced it today too, they're getting a lot of favorable matchups. Mm-hmm. Because their top six is getting the other team's top six and their checking line. They get to play the third and fourth lines of other teams. And they're better than those lines. It's a perfect matchup doesn't necessarily mean they're going to have the same success individually if they move up playing tougher matchups, higher minutes, more leverage situations. Doesn't mean they may not do it. I'm not against giving them a chance, but that's a huge difference in terms of degree of difficulty versus what those guys are facing. And you always have to keep that in mind when projecting these players and what they can do. Garland, we know, is a top six talent. The question just is, who does he work with in your top six? But what they have going with that line We'll find out with with um, Dakota Joshua out right now, but Garland should be the guy that play drives it. Especially when you consider, like, we, we get caught into these conversations of, okay, move this guy up in the lineup and all these things, and you, you're trying to create situations that help the team win. Well, right now, I'm hard-pressed to find, outside of Hughes Roenick, a better edge for this team of where they can effectively get two points every night than this third line because yeah. the fact that they go up against lower competition, that's a huge edge. If you have the third line, I'm, I'm using nickname, the uh, yes. nickname there. If you have the third line, the, the best third line in the league, and they produce, that's a huge edge over third and fourth lines. And if that's the matchup that, that they're going to get, you know, the, the, that's not something I want to really consider breaking up, especially where as you work through the top six, you're still getting results. Yeah, and, and the coach is essentially 
spelled this out for us. You know, I've tried Garland further up the lineup. It doesn't always work. Mm. Uh, he's there's certain traits that he has that doesn't necessarily fit with some of the guys, some of the other players in our so, top six. So I, I agree that you know we've seen it with Miller, we've seen it with Patterson. It doesn't work. Could it work with Lindholm? And then that, you have the lotto line together. Yeah, that's a bit more interesting mm-hmm. to me. That's something you have to explore. We don't know how mm-hmm. he fits with Lindholm. We haven't seen it. In theory, Lindholm isn't a puck dominant player. Does not need to be. Whereas Garland is. And more importantly, like Lindholm will do the things not at the same level, but like Joshua does. Or Bluger. Think of Bluger yeah. as center. Like yeah. he's he's he, like a high end Bluger he, in he, many ways. It's almost both of them, right? Because yeah. he can win along the wall. He will be tenacious. He's not going to lay a wall up like Dakota Joshua will. But you just saw the other game. He'll get quick on the forecheck and create loose pucks. You can do that, but yeah. are, what's more valuable to you, loading up your top six or actually having three lines? I, I think the three lines, but if we're just ex- exploring yeah. uh, potential outcomes here, uh, you know, it, it would be interesting to see uh, Garland with Lindholm. The uh, there's there's a text that's come in here. Uh, David Amber was on with uh, Kipper and Bourne, and they all agreed that the Canucks third line is a championship level third line, which. Okay, that's high praise, and I, I I'd like to see it in in the playoffs. But well, I mean, they still get the other teams' third and fourth lines yes. in the playoffs. Teddy Bluger was a healthy scratch for the Vegas Golden Knights yeah, in the playoffs. I get it, but I mean, that's I don't think that's a f- fair comparison to, to Teddy either with how no. he's playing this season compared to what was going on then, right? Yeah, he came in as a deadline acquisition to yeah. basically just be cover for yeah. the Vegas Golden Knights who were absolutely loaded last And his year. game, like he he admitted that his game wasn't where he wanted it to be last season. Like he took a bit of a step back. Like yeah. he's, he's a significantly better player now. But you... My point is, you can compare it to recent championship level teams, and it may not have the same pedigree that some of those others did. Like, think about uh, Jim Rutherford's first team in Pittsburgh that won the cup, right? The HBK line was their third line Bonino, Haglin, and Kessel. Yeah, I mean, they had Kessel, obviously. Yeah, and yeah. May- maybe Garland is Kessel in this scenario, Bene- yeah. where, where he's kind of like the, the clear top six guy mm-hmm. that's sort of playing lower down the lineup and winning a leap ton of matchups because it just didn't really fit with Malkin or Crosby in those moments. Yeah, but he doesn't score like Kessel. <laughs> no, that's the thing, doesn't. right? Maybe that's it's, why they're bringing in Kessel, yeah. right? Well, I mean, like you say championship level. I mean, not every single championship winner has had, um, you know, a Hall of Fame caliber player like Phil Kessel on that line, yes. right? Now, Vegas, I think, was interesting last year because they had William Carlson on that line. Mm-hmm. Who's like premier shutdown yeah. center. So, I mean, that's that's pretty good. I mean, I don't think they're a shutdown. It's almost like you have one top six guy that kind of just ends up there. Yeah. Because for whatever reason, fit or you already have your top six figured out, but it seems like a championship level team has oh. one guy that's a top six player that ends up playing in a third line situation. Especially if you wind up having three, in my mind, three top 30 centers yeah. in Patterson, Lindholm, Miller. Well, you can kind of mask some issues then in the top six and say, yeah. okay, we, we our sixth most important forward is probably going to be on the third line because our seventh or eighth most important forward is going to be with the top six. Yeah. Well, and, and I think the way we look at the team now, and, and I'd say I have a very different view of a lot of players in their position on this team today than I will have come the offseason. Of course. And to me, with Garland especially, there's nothing 
you can do with them during the season. You shouldn't touch it during the season. Off season, a, a different discussion. But I think based on everything we talked about, for him to be successful, he's a puck dominant player that needs to have players that cater to him mm-hmm. to have success. You have that right now with Dakota Joshua and Teddy Bluger. You play him up the lineup, it has to be similar types of players with them. And to Bick's point, Lindholm, maybe that makes sense. So if you're trying to project long-term now where Garland, Karna Garland fits in, depending on who comes back and who doesn't come back, to me, you would have to view him as a top six player and you have to make sure that he's playing with those guys that can play with him. And can you easily go and find another Teddy Bluger and Dakota Joshua next season cheap to do the same thing with Garland on a third line? Yeah, that's going to be a very difficult task in the summer. But uh, I guess you tackle that when when you get there. <laughs> As for right now, um, Elias Lindholm's going to make his home debut tonight. Mm-hmm. He's played now five games as a Vancouver Canuck. Some mixed results. But it's pretty obvious we have yet to see the best of Elias Lindholm. And it's pretty obvious that the team is still searching for the right fit for Elias Lindholm. Right now, we've got the all-Swede line going with him, Pedersen, and and Hoaglander. They scored the other night. Does it... Do we just see this get a little bit of a runway now? As Rick Tockett sort of mentioned earlier in the week, we've got to get Lindholm maybe just sort of settled into one spot and see if he can get settled there and start to, to pick up his game. I hope they give it a little bit of a run here. I think you kind of have to. Like he's, and even Talkett himself said it's my fault that moved him around a bit too much. I think for the sake of him getting situated and just for the overall team, I think you have to give it a, a few games. Now, you can't just do it indefinitely. You have to see, you know, what chemistry builds out or whatever. But I, going back to what we were talking about before Bick came in, how much does fatigue play in part? With these guys, like emotionally, f- physically, I mean, for mentally, him too. Like thinking trade, about getting, mm-hmm. you know, flying over, going to All Star game, been on being on the road. Yeah, you, you cut your uh, vacation to Cabo a little bit short. You know, you go to Toronto, you do you do the All Star thing, yeah. you get traded in between, and now you're, you're like instead of being able to get settled in your new city, it's like all right, I go from the All Star game in Toronto to joining my teammates in Carolina, Cabo, and- Toronto, Carolina, Boston, <laughs> Detroit, Washington, Chicago, Vancouver. It's a lot of mileage. Yeah. It's a lot of air miles he put in. And he has a young family, and they yeah. still haven't moved. I mean, I think the plan is eventually for them to come out here, but they haven't. So I mean, it's you know, yeah. it's there. There's a lot going on. Well, it's for the tough guy. to in season with your family. Yeah. Like there's some some personal stuff that happens for players that is difficult mm-hmm. to sort of work around. Assuming no injuries, I felt like okay, the third line that's figured out. Yeah, you're you're talking about runway here. I, I would have liked to have seen Lindholm, Pedersen, Hoaglander basically till the end of February. Yeah, because Hoaglander's scoring goals, right? He's scoring goals, and that that should earn you a look in the in the top six for an extended. And they run. should give him like a good couple week yeah. run here and see and what he can do. So you're not breaking up Miller and Pedersen or, or uh, uh, Miller and Besser. So the obvious. Top six guy then is Lindholm with Pedersen. So that to me is like for the next two weeks, you have two of your lines figured out. Yeah. And then it's just the suitor spot. Is it, it? It gives you a little bit of intel going into the trade yeah. deadline too if you maybe want to take a look at, at something else. Um, I I feel like I've downplayed Nils Hoaglander's accomplishments all season long. <laughs> <laughs> There's only five players in the league that have more five-on-five goals than him this season. Yeah, and he's it's his ridiculous. Go- it gets to a point, and even if it is riding percentages, he's just having a hot year. Even yeah. you ride it. It's similar you know? to Kuzmenko last year. Yeah, you ride it until it dries up. 
except there was no power play time. Well, he worked on power play two today with Joshua out, but there hasn't been any power play time for Nils Hoaglander, no. really. And he's still got 17 goals on the air. Again, only five players in the league have more five-on-five goals than him. He is the leader in uh, goals per 60 at five-on-five as well. So it's it's remarkable, and I think that's a huge storyline. The thing, the biggest storyline of the week, though, is Phil Kessel. And the thrill. Phil the thrill. Uh, Elliot Friedman mentioned today, unless something goes sideways, he can't see Kessel not signing with the Canucks. Uh, Rick Tockett saying uh, it's a free look for us, and it as of right now, I mean they haven't signed any contracts. It's but he very much a yesterday. free look. Didn't you see the video? Yeah. He was well, slow. He hasn't played in ten months. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I know, man. And Tockett today said it's going to be weeks. Like he's going to have to go and go down and skate for weeks. We mentioned this yesterday. They have till March eighth. What are we worried about? I think that's in the shape thing. versus condition, like game shape, is very very different. Two very different things. Mm-hmm. And. No. I, yeah, Phil Kessel's going to take some time to get into game shape. Which, look, he's got three weeks here to basically go through a training camp. Yeah. Which, that's some time here. Mm-hmm. I, I'm still, like, perplexed of how it works, and is it just a emergency depth? Is it putting some pressure on some, some other teams around the league to say, hey, look, we, we don't need your goal scorer. We, we, we might have someone to, to solve our issues. Whatever it is, I, I think it's, like, a, a good move, but... Does it solve any of the problems? Yeah. Is it worth doing for a 13th forward, essentially? I, I guess is what you're kind of looking at. I, I wouldn't even, even be surprised if it's a move where they sign him and then send him down to Abbotsford, and then he's there. Interesting. And then if injuries or something happen, he hmm. comes up, or you get to the playoffs, and then now so he's... So a true depth situation. <laughs> I mean, who are they Who are they getting rid of? Sending to, down, yeah. Like, who, are they, who are they putting on waivers to... Sign Phil Kessel for Phil Neil Zoman. Phil, maybe, but even him, that seems kind of harsh. I guess. Yeah. I mean, we know how much. I'm glad you like suggested it. it, though. But yeah, uh, it wasn't us DG saying it. Well, I mean, yeah, they they wouldn't cut Nils Oman. He's a 24 year old playing center for them, and just sign him to PK a, minutes. Yeah, and he's just signed him to a two year contract. He's supposed to be a valuable depth player for them next season as well. Yeah, unless you're really confident, someone's going to look at the the extra two years and say, ah. <laughs> Maybe not, but I he, guess so. He's like, playing PK minutes. Yeah. That's valuable. The the biggest value is they get a free look at a player that could potentially uh, be injury cover for them without having to give up any sort of asset to get it. Right, and it probably going to lead if they do end up signing him, as Elliot Friedman mentions, league min salary. Like, is there an opportunity cost of signing Kessel versus looking at other options? Maybe you could make that argument, but. Well, they have more than enough room for contracts right now. Because if, if you figure they go into the college free agent season and they want two two guys, well, that 46 deals right now. So yeah, contract-wise, they're yeah. fine. So it, it's really well played for, of the entire spectrum of what they've done here to maybe open up a spot, get Phil Kessel in, and, and still be competitive in, in that market. You know that they want to be competitive in yeah. the, 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 the free agent market. Uh, the uh, college guys. 100%. And people are texting in, well, they'll drop Friedman. They want to add a defenseman. Mm-hmm. And if you're adding a defenseman, you want eight D-men. You they don't want to want... carry eight defensemen. You'd yeah. rather carry eight defensemen in the 14 short... forwards. And if you're lining up to get Kessel signed at or, or around the deadline, I see only two possibilities. One, they make a trade where they're moving a forward out. Then they sign Kessel, who moves into the roster. 
or they sign him and he goes to Abbotsford and they call him up when when the need arises. Right. That, that's how I would see it. Now, does he even want to go down to Abbotsford and be that? Like, this is why I'm saying, like, let's see, let this all play out. Mm-hmm. And I don't doubt that, you know, Elliot has great intel that this can get done and everything. But everything that I understood was we got to see how the next you know, week to 10 days ago. What does he look like? We are still exploring other opportunities as well. They're not sitting here just waiting for Phil Kessel to be ready. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, that's a big part of it. Uh, all right. We're being yelled at to break. Not by me. Well, I didn't want to have happen what happened yesterday. <laughs> what happened yesterday? We, we went pretty long. Oh, okay. At one point. It's okay. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, because overrated, underrated started at like five oh seven. Yes, that, that was it was. Rough. It was. Uh, I mean, we made some executive decisions as the hosts of the show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have, honestly, we don't. You know, it's an open segment coming up. It's your next. prerogative. I'm not, I'm not I'm just doing my job. Stamps on podcasts <laughs> yeah. is what they're saying. I did want to get your take on. So the the next little bit, <laughs> it's Poor a floating ben. break. It's, it's okay. See we you later, Ben. One, one more, Ben. One more, Ben. All right. Um. It's the round table for a reason. It gets to go extra long. <laughs> we need Bick to work more hours than he already does. Well, too. if Bick didn't have the, the microphone malfunction for the first five that's, minutes. Yes. That's what we're blaming it on. <laughs> the rationalizations you guys can make. So they're first in the NHL right now. Mm-hmm. And the schedule is about to get... It's heavy over the next little bit. They've got five games in eight nights. But through March, it's light. Even though strength of schedule, you could argue, is... Maybe more difficult from now through the end of the season than it has been to this point. Um, just how valuable is first in the West for this team? Is first in the Pacific more valuable than first in the West? Well, I mean, if you're finishing first in the West, you're finishing first no, in the Pacific. No, I know, Pacific, but, but like, like... You're still playing one of the two wildcard teams. Yeah. I, I'm more, I just find myself more focused on the Pacific than I do... West. You're more worried, so you basically you just want to avoid Vegas and Edmonton at any cost in the first round. What you're saying that's more important. Yeah. So you'd live with maybe playing LA. Yes. Well, we don't know if LA is going to get the first wild card to begin yeah, with. Also exactly. Asked. I mean, and the second part is how scared should you be of LA? Yeah. I don't think a time... goalie is the only thing that fixes their issues. No. The only time the, the first in the West is going to come to play is third round, right? And then it's home ice advantage, if assuming the number one seed makes it there. Yeah. That's really the only time you're really focused about it. So for, for me, it's like first in the West is more important than um, beating the central team. So just avoid Vegas and Edmonton at yeah. all costs. Well, not at all costs, but yeah. It, it, it's more about just the idea that um, you control home ice through the, through, through the first two rounds. That's, yeah, I mean, against those two teams, they you get want to the any, third round. Suddenly, it's like you're good enough to go win on the road. You want every advantage possible, of course, as as you can get. Right, finish first in the division. That's what matters more than, mm-hmm. more than anything else. I, I think it'd be nice to finish first in the Western Conference too, because if LA gets his act together, yeah, you you're probably avoiding them. I still think they'll end up being wild card one, not wild card two, but we'll see. And that wild card two team right now, it's uh, the St. Louis Blues. We've had some success against Vancouver, but and and they always seem like every time we were talking about this yesterday in the bullpen, it's like hey, every arrow of the Canucks. Yeah, here come the St. Louis Blues playoffs, <laughs> right? Like there they were, West Coast Express. There they were, Sedin's emerging. There yeah. they were, Bubble. It's like every little 
every little moment yeah the st louis blues pop up highway marker yeah. yeah like there they are we got this text you want to avoid calgary we want to avoid calgary is what the text says because oh, because you're worried kuzmenko is going to come back to honestly I, I i know we talk about this and people want the path of least resistance i i don't care about avoiding anyone if calgary ends up trading a bunch of guys it's going to be hard for them to make the second wild card spot to begin with we're, we're talking about being the number one seed in the in the conference and we're like oh you want to avoid this team you're, you're the bully on the block <laughs> what bully on the block goes down with a two by four and be like oh I don't want to go to that house. Yes, that's fair. You smack fools on your path. <laughs> that's that's the attitude to take. All right. I apologize, Ben. It was just okay, a conversation we had to have. <laughs> uh, it's Dan Richo <laughs> and Sad TR Shots. The Canuck Central Roundtable with Bick Nazar. Follow him on Twitter by his name, at Bick Nazar. Catch him on the postgame show tonight and on intermissions as well. You're listening to Canuck Central.